You're listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Amen. Good morning. If you'd please open with me in your Bibles, we're going to be in Jonah chapter 4. It's Jonah chapter 4. Next week, we're going to be beginning a new series, by the way, called Church Matters. And in that series, we're going to be looking at God's design and God's vision for the church and and who God has called us to be and what God has called us to be passionate about and what it looks like for us to live those things out. But today, so we come to the conclusion, though, of the book of Jonah. And uh, it's a short little book, but it contains a hugely important message for all of us. It's a message about God's heart for the world and what our role is in his mission. And, and really, everything in the book of Jonah, everything in this story, up until now, has been building up until this point in this final chapter. So I'm excited about this, and I believe that God has a message for us, and I hope you're, you're ready to receive it. Let's go ahead and begin this morning by reading Jonah chapter 4. We're actually going to start on the last verse of chapter 3 because it gives us some context for understanding what happens in chapter 4. If you use your phone to read the Bible, we recommend you use the YouVersion Bible app because um, we have live notes in there. So if you go in the menu, click on uh, events and you'll find us in there. You can follow along with what's on the screen. You can take notes, share things. It's a way to interact with the message and hopefully get more out of it. So book of Jonah, for those of you uh, who aren't sure what that is, it's in the Old Testament. Just go ahead and use your index uh, in your Bible. And for those of you who are on your phones, you can just search for it and type it in. Let's begin by reading Jonah chapter 3 starting in verse 10 and through chapter 4. When God saw what they, that's the Ninevites, did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But this displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and he sat to uh, to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there and he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint, and he asked that he might die. And he said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow. It came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we pray that as we study it, Lord, that you would align our hearts and our minds with yours. Lord, help us to think the way that you think, and as we do that, Lord, we pray that you would change our affections, change the things that we love, change the things that we desire. Lord, we pray that as we study your word, you would change our hearts and align our hearts with your heart, that we might be like you. So we ask that you would use this time in your word for your glory and for our good, and we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. The message of the book of Jonah, if you were to put it into one sentence, it could be this. Lost people matter to God. 
and therefore they should matter to me and you. So lost people matter to God, and therefore they should matter to me and you. Let me ask you, how many of you have ever seen a toddler have a meltdown? Maybe, uh, maybe I should better phrase it this way. How many of you have ever seen a toddler? Because that's what they do. That's, if you've seen a toddler, you've seen a toddler meltdown. That's what they do. It's what they do best, really. Sometimes it's in the middle of the grocery store aisle. Maybe you've seen that one. Or at an event or, or at home. And really, it could happen anywhere. And it could be because they're tired or maybe because they're not tired, or maybe because they're hungry, or not. It could really just happen for any reason whatsoever. And there's a great blog out there. It's, they also have a Twitter feed, and it's called Reasons My Child is Crying. I don't know if you've ever seen this blog, but if you haven't, do yourself a favor and go check it out. Basically, it's this. Parents can send in their photos of their toddler or their you know, small child basically having a meltdown, and then they write a caption as to why the child is melting down. So I've got a few, few examples for you here. This little guy, he's... Uh, He's pretty upset because his mom broke his piece of cheese in half. This little girl, she is really upset because her mom wouldn't let her drink liquid fertilizer. Poor, poor thing, right? Well, this guy really likes to put on sunscreen, but his mom told him it's raining outside. And so he's, uh, he's pretty upset. This guy, he's upset because he bit into his cornbread only to find out there was a hot dog inside. <laughs> Super disappointing. This guy, he's crying because... He doesn't want to stand up or sit down or lay down, which doesn't leave a lot of options. So you can understand why he's so upset. This guy here, he's upset because he doesn't want his legs to be attached to his body anymore. And uh, that's a hard one to solve. So, you know, we look at that and we say, man, kids are just so irrational, right? Like they're just, uh, I can't believe they act like that. I'm glad that I don't act like that until you lose your keys or your wallet or God forbid, pretty much the worst thing that could happen, you can't connect to the internet, right? And uh, my son showed me a video the other day uh, called No Wi-Fi in a Nutshell. Uh, That's the name of this video. And somebody made this video about how people react when they can't connect to the internet. And basically, they just lose their minds. When they can't connect to the internet, the Wi-Fi's not working, they freak out, they get anxious, they yell at each other, they kick the dog, nothing else in the world matters until they can get the internet connected again. You know, also a while back, so my daughter went through this stage where she liked to find things that were laying around the house, and then she would take them and hide them, which was really great, except for about half the time, she totally forgot where she hid them, and so we would just never know, and uh, find them weeks later, oh, that's where this was, right? So one time, I go to get my wallet and, and head out the door, and my wallet's not where I left it. So she had taken it, and she had hidden it somewhere, but she couldn't remember where she put it. And so I was looking everywhere in the house for my wallet. I was starting to get upset and frustrated, and I wasn't exactly being very nice. And my wife had to pull me aside at one point and say, hang on a second, right? Like, come back to reality. Look around. Think about this. Like, is this really something that you need to be getting this upset about? Uh, don't you think you're kind of overreacting, right? Like, look around. You have a small daughter, she just playing games, right? So in other words, she was bringing me back to reality, and I needed it. And, I, and here's why, because I was freaking out about something that was, in the big picture, relatively small. So I was freaking out about some little thing, and I was losing sight of the big picture. And I think that's all of our tendency. We have a tendency to freak out about little things and lose sight of the big picture. And that is exactly what is happening here in the fourth chapter and the final chapter of the book of Jonah catch up with Jonah and what is he doing? He's freaking out. He's throwing a tantrum about some little things really, some little things and he's totally lost sight 
of the big picture. And so what does a good parent do, you know, when the kid's having a meltdown in the middle of the grocery store or anywhere, really? What does a good parent do with the child who's melting down? Well, what they do is they take them, pull them aside, they set them aside, and they say, let's talk about this. And they, they try to reason with them. And that's not always easy to do with a two-year-old, right? But, but you try to, at least on some level. And you say, you know, let me, you ask them some questions to help them to see and to get to see how ridiculous they're acting and how this thing that they're so upset about isn't as big of a deal as they think it is and that how they've kind of lost perspective, right? Like, is this really, uh, your cheese broken half, you're still going to eat it and you're going to be fine. Is this really something to cry about? Is this really something to get upset about? And again, that's not just for toddlers. I think all of us need that sometime. We, we need someone to come alongside us, ask us the right questions and help us to see the big picture and see how sometimes ridiculous we're being in that moment. So Jonah, here he is, he's throwing a tantrum, he's having a meltdown. What's he upset about? He's upset that God showed mercy to the Ninevites because he hates the Ninevites. They're like his arch enemies. He doesn't want to see them do well. He, he wants to see them wiped out and wants to see judgment, but instead God is being patient towards them and giving them another chance. And Jonah's angry about that. He's upset about that. He doesn't like it. And so what does God do? As a loving father, God comes to Jonah, he pulls him aside here in chapter four, and he begins chatting with him. And he asks him some questions. And he gives him some perspective. And he helps Jonah see how ridiculous he's being. And he helps Jonah to see the big picture that he's lost sight of. And in this, I want you to see that we see some things that are absolutely vital, absolutely crucial for us to understand about who God is and who we are and what God is doing in the world and what our part is in that. The title of today's message is God's Heart for the World. And there are three things we're going to be looking at here in this section. Number one, when you're angry at God, when you're angry at God. Secondly, we're going to talk about the thing that makes cities beautiful, what it is that makes cities beautiful. And thirdly, we're going to talk about the rest of the story. So let's talk about this, when you're angry at God. Now the Ninevites were legitimately bad people, like super actually bad people. They did exceptionally bad things. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire and the city of Nineveh was located in what is now the modern day city of Mosul, Iraq. It's been in the news a ton lately, but that's the same location as Nineveh. These people were essentially the great, 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 great grandparents of ISIS and uh, Al-Qaeda. And they acted like it, really. They were a violent and imperialistic nation that posed a present threat and danger to the very existence of the nation of Israel, Jonah's nation. So Jonah didn't like them. He didn't like anything about them. And he believed, and I think we can say rightly so, that the Ninevites deserved God's judgment. But then God called Jonah to do something that Jonah did not want to do. God called Jonah to go to Nineveh and give the people there a message. And here was the message. God has seen your wicked actions and he's giving you 40 days. You've got 40 days to repent or else God is going to overthrow your city. He's going to bring judgment upon you. Now Jonah didn't want to go there. He didn't want to do that. He didn't want to give that message. And it's kind of understandable because this would have been an extremely dangerous thing to do. This is enemy territory. And you're basically walking up to your enemies and threatening them, giving them an ultimatum. I mean, if this doesn't work, Jonah's dead meat. And so here in Jonah chapter 4 though, Jonah tells us, well actually the reason I didn't want to go to Nineveh isn't because I was afraid that it, this, this plan wouldn't succeed. Actually, just the opposite. The reason I didn't want to go to Nineveh was because I was afraid that this plan would succeed. Because here's the thing that Jonah knew, and this is true throughout the Bible, you'll notice this. 
With God, every warning of judgment is an invitation to repentance and an offer of grace and mercy. I'll say that again. I think that's important. With God, every warning of judgment is an invitation to repentance and an offer of grace and mercy. And Jonah knew that. He knew that if the Ninevites actually listened to this message and repented, that God would show them mercy. And he didn't want that. He didn't want the Ninevites to have mercy. He wanted the Ninevites to get what they deserved because they were terrible people. They were enemies. He wanted to see them wiped out. But as we saw last week in chapter 3 in your study, we saw Jonah reluctantly went to Nineveh. He dragged his feet. He walks halfway into the city. He preaches the worst sermon in the history of sermons. He says, you got 40 days or else God's going to kill you all. He drops the mic and walks away. There's no love in his heart for these people. He's just trying to do the absolute bare minimum so that he can get God off his back. Okay, God, I did what you wanted. I didn't like it, but I did it, so leave me alone. But then much to our surprise and much to Jonah's chagrin, God did something absolutely incredible. The whole city of Nineveh repents and they turn to the Lord and as a result, God shows them mercy. And so that brings us to chapter four. How does Jonah respond to this? It says that he got exceedingly angry. He was very upset. Here he is, he's pouting, he's kicking dust in the air, he's throwing a fit and he's still holding on to hope that maybe this repentance thing won't stick. Maybe he'll get lucky and God will still come back and God will still destroy Nineveh and if that does happen, Jonah wants to have a front row seat on the whole thing so he leaves the city, he goes out east where there's a hill overlooking Nineveh and he waits. He waits hoping that he'll get lucky and he'll get to have the pleasure of watching God kill all these people. That's what he's hoping for. Super awesome prophet, right? So Jonah is angry at God. He's displeased by God's choice, by God's decision. He disapproves of God's actions. Twice in this chapter, it says that Jonah is angry at God. And twice, Jonah says that he is so angry that he wants to die. Why? Well, it's because God didn't do what Jonah thought that God should do. So that's the issue here. God didn't do what Jonah thought that God should do. So let me ask you this question. Have you ever been angry at God? Have you ever felt that God did something or maybe God allowed something to happen or he didn't do something and you disapprove? You don't agree. You disapprove. You say, God, why did you let that happen? How could you? That's not right. It's not fair. Maybe you say, God, I prayed for that thing specifically. And you said, if I pray something in your name, you're going to do it. And, and you didn't give me what I asked for. Why not? It was a good thing I was asking for. It wasn't a bad thing. How could you? How could you let that happen to the point where you become angry because you disapprove of God's decision? That's where Jonah's at right now. Now, I would say, I think that most of us on some level, at some, we had a moment where we probably thought at one time or another, if I was God, I would have done that differently. I wouldn't have let that happen. If I was God, I would have acted differently in that situation. I, I would have spared the life of the sick child. I would have taken the life of the child molester. I wouldn't have let that car accident happen. I wouldn't have let that tragedy happen. I would have brought judgment on Nineveh. If I was God, in other words, we say, I would have done things the right way. And I'm angry that God didn't do what I think God should have done. So let me ask you this. If you've ever been there, maybe you're there right now, I don't know. What do you do? What do you do when you find yourself in that place where you're angry at God? How should you respond to those feelings if you feel those feelings inside of yourself? And here's what I would tell you. Put it this way. Being angry at God is never right. 
But if you are angry at God, it's never right not to tell him so. Let me say that again and then I'll explain what I mean. So being angry at God is never right. But if you are angry at God, it's never right not to tell him so. Okay, let me explain what I mean by that. So to be angry at God, that's different than disappointment. That's different than discouragement over something that happened. To be angry at God means, as we were saying, to disapprove of something that God has done or something that God has allowed. Now there's something really important to keep in mind when, uh, about what the Bible teaches us about our feelings. Now, I, I'm personally one who believes that feelings are a gift from God, that they're a good thing. That feelings aren't given to us to be suppressed. But here's the other thing I want to tell you about feelings. Not all feelings are neutral, right? Like some people have this idea that feelings are neutral, right? It's like, um, you know, feeling sleepy, right? Like I feel sleepy. Is that good or bad? It's neither. It's just, I'm just sleepy. That's just how it is. It's something that happens to you. Um, but not all feelings are neutral. Some are, but not all of them are. So for example, some of our feelings are good and some of our feelings are bad. If you're sleepy, is that good or bad? I, I, I don't know. Personally, I think that's just neither. You're just sleepy. That's just how it is. On the other hand, there are some feelings that are good, right? So the Bible tells us to delight in the Lord. Delight, that is a feeling, that is an emotion, that is an action. That's a good feeling that God tells us that we should cultivate. On the other hand, there are also some feelings which are bad feelings, inherently bad feelings. Bitterness, envy, hatred, these are feelings that take place in our hearts and our minds and they may never ever translate into actions. But the Bible makes it very clear that God doesn't only look at our actions. He doesn't only care about our actions. He also very much looks at our hearts and he cares about our hearts. Right? That's one of the big lessons here in the book of Jonah actually because Jonah technically did what God asked him to do. Right? Like he could check all the boxes and say, okay God, I went to Nineveh. I told him the message. I did it. All right, now you can leave me alone. I did what you asked me to do. Right? I did all this stuff outwardly. Great. Well, no, not great. And what's the problem? The problem is, it's the focus of the book, the problem is Jonah's heart. What's going on inside and in his mind? His heart is full of hatred towards the Ninevites and it's full of anger towards God. And so with God, it's not just about what you do or don't do. It's also, it also matters what's going on inside your heart and inside your mind. Jonah is a perfect example of someone who has good theology but a bad heart. Jonah is a perfect example of how it's possible to have good theology, but a bad heart. Because here's the thing about Jonah. He knows who God is. He just doesn't like him, right? So he knows who God, in fact, this is very interesting. In verse two of Jonah chapter four, what does Jonah say? He says, see God, I knew this would happen. I knew it. That's why I ran off to Tarshish in the first place, because I knew that you are a gracious God and that you are merciful. You are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Do you know that that is a direct quotation from a, a section that we actually studied just a, a few months ago here at Whitefields when we studied Exodus? Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. That's a direct quote, okay? So in other words, here's what that means. It means that Jonah knew that verse. Not only did he know that verse, like I think God's kind of merciful or something, he knew it by memory. He knew it word by word. He knew the whole thing. He had it memorized. In other words, he knew the character of God. He just didn't like it. In other words, he really liked it when God was that way towards him, right? When God was gracious and merciful towards him. Throughout the story, we've seen exactly that. Jonah 
had a bad heart. Jonah did bad things, and yet God didn't give up on him. God loved him and pursued him and is still loving him and pursuing him. And that's a big theme of Jonah, by the way, that we run from God, we have bad hearts, but God comes after us, he loves us, he persists with us. You see, Jonah liked it when God was gracious to him. But when it came to other people, Jonah didn't want God to be gracious. Jonah wanted God to bring judgment. I think that's how a lot of us are, right? We tend to say, grace for me, judgment for you. Grace for me, judgment for you. When we sin, we have all kinds of empathy for ourselves, right? Like we say, well, we understand the extenuating circumstances that led to this action or this thought, right? We have a lot of understanding of these extenuating circumstances. We have tons of empathy. But when it comes to other people, we're very quick to want to get out the hammer of justice and pound on them. And that's the situation here with Jonah. Jonah says, these people deserve judgment, God, what you're doing here is just wrong. He says, I'm angry. In fact, I'm so angry, I wish I would just die. And God says to Jonah in verse four, he says, okay, Jonah, you're angry, right? Okay, but here's the question. Is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you to be angry? I understand you are angry, but this brings us back to our original statement. Being angry with God is never right, but if you are angry with God, it's never right not to tell him so. See, I don't think that the Bible encourages us to be fake. I don't think it encourages us to suppress our feelings and just put on a happy face and pretend that everything is great when it's not. See, here's the thing. God knows everything about you. You can't hide anything from him. So we should be honest about our feelings and we should own up to them. But we should never assume that just because we feel a certain way that those feelings are okay, that they're justified in every situation. God asked Jonah, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry at me? And the answer is obviously no. No, it's not right for Jonah to be angry at God. It's not right really for any of us to be angry at God. And here's why. Here's why. Because God has never done anything wicked or evil against you. Do you know that? That God has never done anything wicked or evil against you. Now, sometimes we don't see the whole picture. Sometimes we don't understand why God did something or why God allowed something to happen. But at the end of the day, the fact is that God sees the big picture and he is, his word tells us, he is working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. So what that comes down to is this. We should be honest about our feelings, but sometimes it's necessary for us to repent of some of those feelings. You might say, well, how can I change the way I feel? I mean, here's the thing. It's just how I feel. It may not be right. It may not be good, but it's how I feel. I can't just turn it on and off like a light switch. Or, or maybe you say, look, I know it's wrong to be angry at God, but I am. What, what, what do I do about it? I can't just turn it off. Or I know it's wrong, but I just hate that person. That's just how it is, right? Like, or I'm totally envious of that person. I realize it's not right, but they have everything that I wish I had, and this is just how I feel. I'm envious. What am I supposed to do about it? You can't just turn on and off your emotions and feelings like a light switch. It's kind of like if you've ever been sad, and you had that very helpful person who comes up to you and says, hey, you're sad. Yeah, you should stop being sad. And you're like, oh, oh well, thanks. Thanks uh, for fixing that problem for me. Problem solved. I'll just uh, stop being sad now. And, uh, you know, I'm, it's not how it works, right? Somebody says, hey, I can see you're very anxious. You should stop being anxious. Well, 
Okay, I'll just stop right now. I'll just stop being anxious. That's just not how it works. How does it work then? See, here's how it works. The way to change how you feel about something is by giving you something that changes the way you think about that thing or situation. I'll say it again because this is is important. It says that the, the only way to change the way that you feel about something is if we can give you something that changes the way you think about that thing or that situation because as the way you think about that thing or situation changes, over time the effect will be that it will also affect the way that you feel about that thing. It's one of the reasons why we place such a big emphasis on teaching the Bible and studying the Bible here at Whitefields because, see, we want to bring our thinking into alignment with what God says is right and good and true. And so, why? So that our hearts will be filled with the right feelings as a result, right? Not, I mean, that's not the only goal, but that is the effect. In other words, you can't change your heart, but you can change your mind. You can't change your heart, but you can change your mind. You can't always choose how you will feel, but you can choose how you will think. And if you will change your mind, If you will bring your thinking into alignment with what God says is true, right, and good, then God will change your heart and your feelings will follow. So again, being angry with God is never right, but if you are angry at God, it's never right not to tell him so. You wouldn't want to add hypocrisy on top of, you know, already being angry at God. So here's the deal. Be honest, confess how you feel. Say, God, I realize that, that uh, I'm, the way I'm feeling right now, it's not right, it's not good. The way I'm thinking about this situation is, is not right. It's out of alignment with you. So help me bring my thinking into alignment with your word and please change my heart. Jonah is angry about something that God is happy about. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes, on the other hand, there are things that make God angry, but they don't bother us at all. Let me ask you this. What are the things that make you angry? What are the things that keep you angry? What are the things that cause you to despair like Jonah where you say, I don't even want to live anymore? Take note of those things because those things, the things that make you angry, the things that cause you deep despair, they reveal a lot about what's going on in your heart. They reveal a lot about the things that you have made the main thing in your life, the idols that you worship other than God. And where your heart is out of alignment with God, Take note of that and bring it before the Lord and say, Lord, I need to bring my thinking into alignment with yours and I need you to change my heart. Let's talk about the next thing we see in this section and that is what makes cities beautiful? What makes cities beautiful? Jonah goes out east of town. He goes up on a hill overlooking the city in the hope that God will change his mind and destroy Nineveh. And God decides to use this opportunity where he's got Jonah pulled aside from everybody else to give Jonah a little object lesson about compassion and about grace. It says in verse six, God caused this plant to grow up overnight over Jonah and give him shade on his head and save him from discomfort. There is actually a kind of vine in that part of the world which grows up very quickly like that, leafy and green and it gives shade. And for the first time in the entire book, Jonah is happy. Notice that. This is the very first time. I mean, he's never been happy until now. He's happy, finally. Now he can watch the Ninevites die a violent death in comfort. That's what he's happy about. And then the very next day, God appointed a worm to come and attack the plant so that it died. See, God is gracious, loving, merciful, and kind of funny. So he does that. Now, why does he do that? Well, let's follow on. We're going to see. And Jonah says, 
oh, my plant's gone. You remember I told you a few weeks ago that the key to understanding the book of Jonah is irony. Well, there's actually some irony here that may not pop out right, right immediately. The irony here is this. In Hebrew, the word for anger means to become hot. We, we use that. We talk about being hot-headed. And so God says, okay, Jonah, you want to be hot in your head? I'll make you hot in your head. And he takes away this plant after he gives it to him for one day. And Jonah says, God, that's it. Just please kill me. I hate my life. I just wish I could die. And God says once again, Jonah, are you right to be angry? I mean, I see that you're angry, but are you right to be angry about this? And Jonah says, yes, I am right to be angry about that. And now, now here's the deal. This was all a setup. Like Jonah totally took the bait and now God's about to set the hook. And here's what he says in verse 10. Jonah, you pity this plant for which you did not labor, nor did you cause it to grow. It came into being in a night and it perished in a night. Now you tell me, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also so much cattle? What about the cows, Jonah? What about the cows? God is contrasting Jonah with himself and the plant with the city. He's contrasting Jonah with himself and the plant with the city. Think about the logic here. It's very emotional logic. He's saying, Jonah, you pity this plant. Now that word pity means he has compassion. He has concern. He has affection for a plant. God says, I, on the other hand, I have pity. I have compassion. I have concern. I have affection for Nineveh, that great city. Why? Because there are 120,000 people in that city who don't know their right hand from their left. Now, there's some uh, debate over what that means, that, that number and, and what that phrase means. So some Bible scholars take it just kind of straight up and they say, that must be the population of the city of Nineveh, 120,000 people. Which, by the way, in the ancient world where most people lived rural areas, uh, 120,000 people in a city, that was a mega city that was a huge city in the ancient world and these people the right hand and left hand thing he's saying they're spiritually confused they don't know their right hand from their left hand they don't know which way to turn now other scholars and, and I tend to agree with this second interpretation they believe that this 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left actually refers to just the number of children in the city of Nineveh because if you ask a small child, you know, hey, which hand's your right hand and the left hand? They're like, I don't know. So if that is the case, which it might be or it might be the other way, but if it is the case, that would actually put the population of the city of Nineveh somewhere around five or 600,000, which would mean that it would be the largest city in the ancient world, which is what many scholars believe uh, apart from this text. They believe that Nineveh was the largest city in the world at that time. It also makes sense because... In chapter 3, last week, we read that Nineveh was so large that it would take three days to walk from one end of it to the other. Now, uh, I realize people are probably a little bit more spread out, but if I was to walk from one end of Longmont to the other, 90,000 people, I could probably do that in a day. So I think that it was the latter one. Also, three times God re uh, refers to Nineveh as that great city. Now, that word great, it means either large in size or it means important and significant and I personally think it means both it means that it was a big city and it was a significant important city in the world but listen to what God says to Jonah it's extremely emotional God is basically saying to Jonah look Jonah when I look at Nineveh here's what I see I see scores of people masses of people who don't know which way to turn spiritually Jonah these are people 
you know, you didn't cause that plant to grow. You didn't make that plant. These are people, I knit them together in their mother's womb. I shaped their faces. I gave them the spark of their personality. Jonah, you care so much for this dumb plant that I gave you for one day. I created these people in my own image. I have known them all their lives, and they are spiritually lost. They're spiritually confused, and my heart goes out to them, Jonah. He says, yes, they're sinners. Of course they're sinners, Jonah, but guess what? So are you. So are you, Jonah, and I had mercy and compassion on you. I showed you love. I showed you grace. Why should I not also show it to them too? And Jonah would say, because they don't deserve it. They don't deserve it. They're bad people. And he'd say, of course they don't deserve it. That's the whole point of grace. That's the whole point of mercy. No one deserves it. By definition, nobody deserves grace. Nobody deserves mercy. God's love, his favor, his blessings, forgiveness, salvation, these are undeserved gifts from an unobligated giver. He gives them simply for this reason, because he loves you and because you can't save yourself. See, this is how God sees the world. In the creation story in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, it tells us how God created all the different things in the world. And ever, after everything he created, he looked at it and said, it is good. But then when he created human beings, he said something different. It says that he created them and he said, he created them in his own image. And he looked at them and said, it is very good. In other words, human beings are God's most beautiful and most treasured creation. No matter how much of a nature lover you are, I'm a nature lover, right? But if you see a boulder rolling down a hill, uh, down a mountain, and there's a person standing there and a tree, nobody says, oh my gosh, how are we going to save that tree? God loves people. And when God looks at a big city full, you know, big dirty city full of sinful people, you know what God sees? He sees treasure. He sees beauty. You know what makes a city beautiful? In a city, there are more of what God considers most precious and most beautiful per square mile than anywhere in the country. You know, it's been said that um, in the country there are more plants than people. In the city there are more people than plants. And since God cares more about people than about plants, God loves the city more than the country. Every city block, every bus that drives by full of people, it's crammed full of people who bear the image of God, of God's most beautiful and most treasured creation. And what we see here is this, that God's burning passion and desire is to redeem those people, to redeem them, to bring them back to himself and into relationship with him, to save them and restore them and make us into what he always intended us to be, apart from sin and the curse and all these bad things that have come into the world. It was for that reason that Jesus came. And here's the point of the entire book. Lost people matter to God and therefore they should matter to me and you. Jonah felt pity on this plant, not because he loved the plant, because he was a big plant lover. It was because of what the plant did for him. That was his reason for loving the plant. And I think Jonah, in that way, he's a picture of many of us, consumed with and concerned about ourselves and our lives and our comfort. But God is calling us here to step out of that, to step out of that self-centered, self-focused life and see the world the way that he sees it and to see people the way that he sees them. He's inviting you to join him on his mission. Jesus said this, he said, this is the reason why I came into the world, to seek and to save the lost. That's the big picture. For many of us, myself included, our tendency is to be like Jonah, 
consumed with myself, consumed with my own little world, freaking out about all kinds of little things and losing sight of the big picture. And as we read this book, here's what God is doing. He's doing for us what he did for Jonah. He's pulling us aside and saying, let's have a chat. Let me, let me bring you back to reality. Let me bring you back to the big picture. And we look at this and we say, wow, you know, you, God would say to us, you think Jonah's super bad, don't you? You think he's just, wow, Jonah's the worst. Do you realize that the reason I put this story in here is so that you could look at yourself in the mirror? Because you are Jonah, I am Jonah. Jonah's tendencies are our tendencies to run away from God, to think that God only cares about our outward actions and not about our hearts, to be gracious towards ourselves and judgmental towards others, to be self-focused. And so what's the answer? What are we supposed to do with all this? We read the book of Jonah, we say, okay, I am Jonah, you are Jonah, and what are we supposed to do? Just feel super bad about ourselves and have a nice Sunday? Or, or just maybe, maybe the message is just you need to get out there and try harder. You're not trying hard enough. Well, listen, the answer is neither of those. The answer is something so much better than that. In order to see the answer, you have to see our third point, which is the rest of the story. This book ends without telling us how Jonah responded to what God told him. But here's the thing. We actually do know how Jonah responded. And the reason we know how Jonah responded is because we have this book, right? Who wrote this book? Who, who was there to tell us about Jonah's prayer in the belly of the fish? Who was there to tell us about Jonah's ridiculous, I hate the love of God speech here in the chapter four? Of course it was Jonah. The only reason we know about Jonah's conversation with God, the only reason we know that Jonah was, was such a moron and that he was so racist and that he was so self-centered and he didn't get the heart of God and he didn't care about the mission of God, the only reason we know that is because Jonah told us himself. He says, God took me on this incredible journey and through this, I came to understand God's heart and God's mission. And now he's writing this book to tell us that story, the story of how God lovingly pursued him and patiently taught him and as how his heart changed as a result. But that's not even the end of the story. You see, many years after this, there was another man named Jesus of Nazareth and Jesus of Nazareth talked about Jonah and he said, speaking about himself, in, in Matthew chapter 12, he said, now someone greater than Jonah has come. Speaking about himself. In other words, the story that we've been reading ultimately finds its fulfillment and its conclusion in Jesus Christ. Just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so Jesus would die and be buried in the heart of the earth three days and three nights and then rise again. Just as Jonah was called to leave his home and go to a violent and hostile land, so Jesus was called to leave his home and come to this earth. Just as Jonah was sacrificed in order to save the lives of the sailors, Jesus was sacrificed to save you and I. But unlike Jonah, who went to Nineveh reluctantly, Jesus came to us willingly. Unlike Jonah, who had a heart of hatred and anger, Jesus' heart was one of love and compassion. Jonah refused to dwell with the Ninevites, but Jesus came and dwelt among us. Unlike Jonah, who hoped to see his enemies punished, Jesus came and was punished on our behalf, on behalf of his own enemies. Jonah sought out a high place from which to look down on Nineveh and watch them be condemned. But Jesus left his high place and came down to us in order that we ourselves might not be condemned. He was condemned on our behalf so that you might be saved and redeemed. And today, because of Jesus and what he did for you, God is standing and inviting you to receive salvation and redemption rather than destruction and condemnation. And let me tell you this, when you understand that, 
When you understand the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is and what Jesus did so that you could be saved. When you understand that God loved you and pursued you, not because you deserved it, but because he loves you in spite of everything you've done to not deserve it. When you see that, when you embrace it, when you allow it to take hold of your heart, that's when you begin to say, how could I continue running from a God like that? How could I ever run from a God like that? If he loves me this much, that he didn't even spare his own son but gave him up for me, how could I ever doubt his love for me? How could I ever be angry at him? How could I ever accuse him of doing me wrong or not having my best interest in mind? Instead, I want to take this life that he's given me and I want to give it back to him for his mission, for his purposes, so that other people can know the love and the grace and the hope and the joy that I have come to know in him. My prayer for you as we conclude this book and this morning is that you would truly understand the height and the breadth and the depth and the width of the gospel, what God has done for you in Christ, and that as a result, you would share his heart for the world and that that would move you to be actively engaged in his mission. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your heart for us. Thank you for your heart for the world. Lord, thank you for your undeserved love. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, as we look at Jonah, help us not to see, wow, Jonah was a big mistake. He's a big failure. Help us to see the work of redemption you did in Jonah's life, the work that you did to change his heart and change his mind. And Lord, may you do that kind of work in our lives today. May we be receptive to it. Lord, we ask that truly you would help us to change our thinking and Lord, you would change our hearts in the areas where that needs to happen. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com.